Welcome to the Rafiki Foundation Podcast. Hi, I'm Karen Elliott, and I'm the Executive Director of the Rafiki Foundation, and I'm your host for this podcast, where we discuss all things classical and Christian, missional and African. The Rafiki Foundation, and Rafiki, by the way, is a Swahili word, which means friend. We are a friend to Africa and Africans. The Rafiki Foundation, established in 1985, Uh, has been serving almost 40 years now across 10 countries in Africa. And now, of course, in America, where we're starting a classical Christian school right here on our property in Eustis, Florida. But in the 10 countries in Africa and in the United States, our main mission is to help people know God and help them raise their standard of living. We do this in two ways, through Bible study and through classical Christian education. We have our own Bible study for every book of the Bible. We have it for small groups. We have it for Sunday schools. And we also have a Bible study for schools and homeschoolers. We think studying the word of God is key to knowing him better. And aside from the home and the church, I can't think of a better place to have children studying God's word every day than in a classical Christian school. So in addition to the Rafiki Bible study, which is the way we help people know God, we also help them raise their standard of living with our own classical Christian curriculum that ranges from preschool up to grade 12. In this classical Christian curriculum, we have teacher texts and student texts for all the core subjects, the maths, the sciences, and the language arts, as well as history, rhetoric philosophy, logic, Um, and so we we have our own classical Christian curriculum with lesson plans, assessments, uh, built-in pedagogy, and content from preschool up to grade 12. We also have art and music courses as well. Thirdly, we have a three-year classical Christian teacher training college series of courses. So with this education system, the Bible study, the classical Christian textbooks and student texts and teacher training program, we're not only establishing classical Christian education within our own 10 Rafiki villages for orphans and impoverished children in the community, but we also work with 23 African church denominations. And our goal is to help those churches establish a thousand classical Christian schools across the continent. And so in this podcast, and in all of the podcasts that I've been doing, my aim is to address the question of uh, regarding of what relevance is a classical Christian education to Africans. As you all know, the question is, since classical Christian education seems to rely heavily on the Western canon and Western civilization, it, it relies heavily on the great conversation that came out of Greece and Rome and Europe and North Africa, let's not forget. But of what relevance does this ancient conversation have to do with African culture? So what I am attempting to demonstrate here in these episodes is is that uh, in the past, in the history of West Africa, There was a a Christian liberal arts education that was attempted in the 19th century, and it was successful in developing men in particular, but some women as well, to be men and women of faith and men men and women who could think well and write well 
and contribute to society and to the development of West Africa. So in one episode, I've discussed the history of what is called the Athens of West Africa, named Forabe College. So I'll refer you to that episode to learn more about that college and its curriculum. And I also mention in that that uh, podcast that there were many successes of Forbay College for a period of about 40 or 50 years. And even beyond that, until the early 1900s, that college followed a classical Christian education paradigm, teaching Greek and Latin, the original the original languages. Students read the ancient texts from that time. And the college was successful in producing great men of influence across West Africa. It produced clergymen and bishops, men who wrote books that influenced the political thinking of West Africa that led to independence and pan-Africanism in the 1960s. You can also listen to a podcast on James Africanus Beale Horton to hear more about the history of one of the influential men who graduated from Forbay College and went on to be the father of pre-independent political thought for West Africa. But in today's podcast, I want to touch on the life of the most reverend Samuel Ajayi Crowther. Bishop Crowther was a Yoruba linguist. He was a clergyman, a strong Christian man, and he was the first African Anglican bishop, period. He was the first indigenous African to be a bishop for the Anglican Church of West Africa. He was born in 1809 and died in 1891. So let me give you a little bit of his history and a thumbnail sketch, and then I'll give you a little bit more detail. So Samuel Ajayi Crowther was born in what is today known as Oyo State in Nigeria. He and his family, unfortunately, were captured by indigenous slave raiders when he was about 12 years old. This took place during what is known as the Yoruba Civil Wars. His village was ransacked, and he was later sold to Portuguese slave traders. He was then put on board to be transported to the New World through the Atlantic. But fortunately, just a few years prior to that, the British had outlawed the slave trade. And so, providentially, Crowther was freed from slavery at a coastal port by the British Royal Navy. The British Royal Navy was enforcing the British ban against the Atlantic slave trade that had just happened two years prior in 1807. And therefore, anyone who was liberated, and I think on this ship there were about 183 people on board, the liberated slaves were then dropped off in Sierra Leone. So he wasn't taken back home to Oyo State, but he was dropped off in West Africa. Sierra Leone was the place where this occurred because it had the third largest natural port in the world, which made it easy for ships in which to navigate. So there in Sierra Leone, Ajayi Crowther adopted an English name of Samuel Crowther, and he began his studies in English. There he became a Christian, and he studied multiple languages. Eventually, Samuel Ajayi Crowther ended up being ordained as a minister in England. He received a doctoral degree at Oxford University. He prepared a grammar and translation of the Anglican Book of Common Prayer into Yoruba. And he also worked on a Yoruba version of the Bible and did other language translation projects. 
Samuel Jai Crowther is another one of my heroes, a man who was educated classically and Christianly. So let's get a few more details about his biography. It is uh, likely that Samuel Ajayi Crowther was the grandson of a Yoruba king. And he was around when he was about 12 years old, when he and his entire family were captured, along with his entire village, by Fulani slave raiders in March of 1821. His father was probably killed in that raid. His toddler brother and other family members were captive, including his mother, and they were sold eventually to Portuguese slave traders. Now, the British had outlawed Atlantic slave trade in 1807, and their Navy ships were patrolling off the coast of West Africa. During that time, however, Spain and Portugal still allowed Atlantic slave trade. So you had the Portuguese still buying slaves, but the British had their boats off the coast, stopping the ships. And they were taking off the slaves and dropping them off in Sierra Leone. And so that's what happened to Samuel Ajay Crowther. And he was dropped off in Freetown, Sierra Leone, and was resettled by the local authorities. So while he was there in Sierra Leone, he received the care and education through the Church Missionary Society, which was the Church of England's mission arm. It was established in 1799 for mission work. So it was discovered quickly that Ajayi Crowther was quite an intellectual young man, and this was spotted early. So he was sent to school, and within a short time, he was able to read the Bible in English with ease. He became a Christian in December of 1825, and he took the name Samuel Ajayi Crowther, naming himself after the vicar of Christ Church, Newgate, London, who was one of the pioneers of the Church Missionary Society. So when he was in Freetown, Crowther became very interested in languages. In 1826, he was taken to England to attend the school of St. Mary's Church, which had established a connection with free Africans in the 18th century. Then a year later, he returned back to Freetown in 1827. And there, he became the first student admitted to the newly opened Fora Bay College. This college, and you can listen to a podcast about Fora Bay College to get more detail. But in brief, I'll tell you, it was an Anglican missionary school at first. And so because of his interest and abilities in languages, there he studied Latin and Greek. But he also studied the classics. And so he had a classical Christian education and soon was a tutor at this college. And so Samuel Ajay Crowther, who not only had been a student and then became a tutor, would tutor would have been uh, even more educated in classical Christian education. Because we all know when you have to teach something, you learn it even more. So he had the same classical Christian education of the other students who would go to Forbay College which included reading Roman and Greek texts, learning Latin and Greek, reading the Bible in the original languages, reading things such as Euclid's geometry and other various texts that you would have found in a, in a British boy's classical Christian education. One of the pivotal moments for Ajay Crowther, as well as for Abay College, was his participation in the missionary journey to Europe. Ajay Crowther, along with Reverend Frederick Sean, were both part of this Niger expedition in 1841. 
the goal was to go up the River Niger and develop uh, commerce as well as plant the gospel here. Unfortunately, it was a great disaster. They took off from Sierra Leone in June, made it to the mouth of the river in Nigeria on August 21st of 1841. And Crowther records a lot of the journey, as does Frederick Schoen, in their journals. You can read these online in uh, Internet Archive. He says in his journal, Crowther does, that August 20th, 1841, the two, two of the ships, the Wilberforce and the Sudan, got underway this morning in pursuit of the Albert, the third ship. And in about two hours, he says, we lost sight of the sea and were completely surrounded by thick mangroves on both sides of the creek. He goes on to say, apparent satisfaction was seen on every countenance that we had now commenced our river navigation, although some could not help remarking that they were going to go to their graves. So you can see here from his journal that already they were feeling concerned about the journey, although they had prepared well. The ships were properly outfitted for going up the river. They had also put in extra ventilation, thinking that that would help protect them from the malaria and the tropical disease that would eventually claim the lives of many on this journey. He goes on to say in his journal entry on August 21st, he said, we were gradually introduced from the mangroves into a forest of palm and bamboo trees embellished with large cotton trees of curious shapes interspersed them on both sides of the river and there were other lofty trees and beautiful foliage he said all hands were invited on deck and with this new scenery and the day was spent with great interest at this novel appearance we passed on both sides of the river he said we saw several plantations of bananas plantain sugarcane cocoa and now and then some huts when with natives in them and so i've quoted from this journal because you can see his great command of english he was very well educated in english very descriptive beautiful writing and so he records more in his journal about what they observed on that first day the natives as he called them that they encountered on the way he records this the next day he said we dropped anchor about 10 miles from the branch that was taken by the Wilberforce to spend our first Sabbath, Sabbath of our ascent up the Niger. He said plenty of coconut trees were seen in many of the villages. So on August 22nd, the very next day, on the Lord's Day, he says, we are now below a small village, quietly enjoying the Christian Sabbath. Not more than two furlongs from us are people who know no heaven, fear no hell, and who are strangers from the covenant of promise having no hope and with God, without God in the world. So in these sections that I've quoted from his journal, you see Bishop Crowther's deep desire and concern for the lost and for his desire to serve. And this heart that you see here in this writing in his journal and other writings com compelled him for the next 50 years to serve vigorously, courageously, with much energy in planting the gospel up and down Western Nigeria. He planted the gospel in this area, up the Niger River in Lokoja, as well as Iloran. He was planting churches throughout the Western part of Nigeria and sending out clergymen to plant the gospel in very harsh, difficult conditions. 
So he says later on in his journal about the missionary enterprise and the desire for seeing the gospel planted. He says this, he says, how inexcusable art thou, O man, who art living in a place where the gospel of Christ is preached every Sabbath, yet you prefer to live in darkness and ignorance of God, of Christ, and of the state of thine own soul, to being made wise to the salvation by the saving knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Take care, he says, lest these people rise up in judgment against thee and condemn thee because thou reject the counsel of God. So here he is finding fault with those who might be able to have the gospel every week and yet refuse it, saying that these people that he was taking the gospel to would rise up in judgment against them. So again, showing his abilities, his writing abilities, his command of the English language, demonstrating his education that he had received and how well it was used in his writings, in his preaching, in his translation work. So while the expedition started out well, and they did get up the Niger to some degree with very well-trained men, it did not last long. By October of that same year, so five months later, they turned around from the river and headed back to the sea. 55 men had died from the fever, and over a 100 had gotten very ill. It was very disappointed, and, and so they returned uh, all the way back in October of 1841. But the expedition was pivotal both for Ajay Crowther and for Furabay College, because what it did is it proved that the need for indigenous men to be trained to carry the gospel throughout West Africa. The Europeans were succumbing to the fever more than Africans. And so this conviction led to further studies in England for Ajay Crowther and also led to a more academic environment at Bay College, the one he attended and taught at. And so Crowther goes to England and was ordained in the Anglican priesthood in 1843. He returns to Africa and at this time works with Henry Townsend to open a mission station in Abiokata, which is presently in Ogun State, Nigeria. And so it was there in August 3rd in 1846, he and his team arrived in Abiokata and something amazing happens. In this area, there were already Christians and he has already translated some of the scriptures into Yoruba. He had done a good amount of translation work already and created a dictionary to help them to be introduced to the gospel and to the scriptures. So there was a lot of rejoicing amongst the people there when they arrived because they were excited to have teachers who could teach them and also build up the church. But little did Bishop Crowther know there would be an amazing event happen to him in Abiokata. And I want to read this directly from his journal that tells you about this encounter on August 21st. 1846. He writes this in his journal. This is the text for this day in the Christian Almanac, he says. The text was, Thou art the helper of the fatherless. And he said, I've never felt the force of this text more than I have this day, as I have to relate to you that my mother, from whom I was torn away about 25 years ago, came with my brother in search of me here in Abiokata, and when she saw me, she trembled. She could not believe her own eyes. 
So here is Bishop Crowther going on a mission trip to Abiokata. He reads the Bible verse, Thou art the helper of the fatherless, on the very day when God reunites him with his mother, from whom he had been separated for 25 years. He goes, goes on to say, We grasped one another, looked at each other with silence and great astonishment, big tears rolling down her emaciated cheeks. She trembled as she held me by the hand and called me by the familiar names by which I well remember that I used to be called by my grandmother, who had since died in slavery. He said, We could not say much, but we sat still and cast now and then an affectionate look at each other. A look, he said which violence and oppression had long checked and affection, which had nearly been extinguished by the long space of 25 years. He said, my two sisters who were also captured were with us, both with, with his mother, who the two sisters take care of the mother and the grandchildren in a small town, not far from Abiokata. He said, thus unsought for after all, and all the search for me had failed. God had brought them together again and turned their sorrow into joy. The story goes on to say that Bishop Crowther was able to lead his mother to faith in Jesus Christ and see her become a Christian. He also had great success in Abiokata at that time in preaching the gospel and seeing the church grow greatly. What an amazing story about how he was reunited with his mother. During this season in life, uh, from Henry Venn, who was a good friend and mentor to Samuel Ajay Crowther, was appointed as the secretary of the Church Missionary Society. Venn was a forward-looking man and had tremendous respect for the indigenous clergy at the time. He believed that African Christians should take over the leadership, expansion, and funding of African Anglican churches, rather than being reliant on British missionary oversight and financial assistance. So his, his thinking, Venn's thinking, was summed up as in what they call the three self-slogans, self-governing, self-propagating, and self-supporting. Bishop Crowther, too, supported this vision for the African Anglican Church. And so Henry Venn, in turn, saw that Bishop Crowther was the man who would potentially bring about this vision. And so in 1857... Crowther was sent to set up and head a new mission on the Niger. The entire staff was African, and a new day for the African church seemed to be dawning. Seven years later, after the establishment of this new mission on the Niger, uh, with Crowther as an ordained pastor, he was then, in 1864, ordained as the first African-English-Anglican bishop at Canterbury Cathedral. His official title was Bishop of the Countries of West Africa Beyond the Queen's Dominions. Crowther was a humble man, and he was reluctant to be called a bishop, but he accepted the appointment after much persuasion. So during these years, in many ways, they were productive years for the Niger mission. He performed his duties as the bishop and as the head of the mission. He appointed clergymen to go and plant churches. He continued his linguistic work. Uh, Crowther completed his translation of the Bible into Yoruba, uh, and by the mid-1880s, he had also done linguistic work with other languages such as Igbo and Hausa and the Nupe. In addition, Crowther was successful in pioneering an early, early form of Christian-Muslim dialogue in some of the territories. 
The mission planted churches and also was committed to establishing high quality education for West Africans. I think thus also demonstrating his appreciation for the classical Christian education he had also had. But there were challenges along the way. The three self policy, of course, caused the mission to have to rely on self-funding. And because of that, often the church in Africa, in West Africa, did not have sufficient money. The missionaries and their staff were also overworked. And there were also tensions between the African missionaries and the parent body, Church Missionary Society. By the late 1870s, Bishop Crowther's friend and protector, Henry Venn, died. Crowther himself was aging and people were challenging his authority. So 1878 was a pivotal time. There ended up being a dispute between Crowther and a white CMS missionary, which then resulted in the audit by the CMS, the Church Missionary Society, of Crowther's mission in West Africa. Unfortunately, the audit charged 15 of the 25 African staff with corruption, and they were dismissed. And by the mid-1880s, just a few years before Bishop Crowther died, by that time, the CMS had dismissed or suspended or transferred all African missionaries and replaced them all with Europeans. Then European financial control of the mission was also reinstated. Bishop Crowther was humiliated and heartbroken. He resigned in protest in December of 1891, and he died of a stroke and was succeeded by a European bishop. This transition here fitted in with a larger change that was happening in the character of European missions that was gaining momentum. And it fits in with what was happening with the scramble for Africa as well. In the 1880s, you had the European powers moving in and dividing up Africa from the 1880s through the early years of the of, of independence in the early 1940s and 50s, where they held strong control over various parts of the continent. This happened partly because there was quinine and the Europeans uh, could survive the impact of malaria and therefore reside in West Africa. Prior to the discovery of quinine and its use, Europeans could not do that. And so there were more Europeans coming to stay and live, and therefore they took most of the leadership roles. Also, there was much less support then for Venn's vision of an independent African church. So at this same time, with this ability for Europeans to reside in Africa, the Europeans taking on the leadership roles, you then had the criticisms and the concerns expressed about Crowther's mission. This fed into the narrative, which hastened this transition into primarily European leadership. It's been said by many, therefore, that a key opportunity had been lost, and this event damaged black and white church relations for many years. In looking back on this incident, many might say that Bishop Crowther was primarily a victim of politics and man's inability to surrender power. Power and politics tend to go hand in hand. Bishop Crowther has been vindicated in many circles. There's a Gospel Coalition article about Bishop Ajayi Crowther that was written by Ndaba Marsapane. 
Uh, it's an article on the uh, Africa website portion of the Gospel Coalition. And one of the points in this article, made at the end of the article, I would uh, tend to agree with is this. It says it's difficult to see the audit and ultimate dissolution of Crowther's mission as little more than British Christians insecurely seeking to retain power over the African church and mission. He says further in his article, Indaba does, that this has played itself out countless times throughout our continent and history. He said, as we seek to send out missionaries and plant churches in Africa or anywhere, we must be aware of the destruction our love for power can cause. So perhaps this is a lesson to learn from the history of Bishop Samuel Ajay Crowther. But you know, despite this unfortunate end for Bishop Crowther, I want to finish with these thoughts that he was an incredibly gifted, yet a humble man. He was hardworking and he was courageous. He was in much danger, much like the Apostle Paul throughout his years as a missionary. He even was kidnapped at one point and ransomed uh, and, and delivered from kidnapping. He was a brilliant man, a scholar, a pastor, a faithful missionary, a gifted linguist, a leader. And he made significant, contribution, significant contributions to African languages and Bible translation work. And he even pioneered new missionary vision. It was instrumental in providing quality education to West Africans. He's a great man who should be remembered and emulated. But what I also want to learn from his life is the value of a classical Christian education. As you recall, he did attend Fora Bay College and he taught there where he did receive a classical education. He was received more education in the UK as well. He could read the Greek and the Latin and other languages as well. As I mentioned earlier, he also taught and tutored at the college. And of course, when you teach, you learn even more. And so he received perhaps what one might call a Western classical Christian education and therefore was instrumental in being equipped in the scriptures to be an effective leader and communicator of the gospel. You can read this in his own journals online at Internet Archive, where you can read about this exhibition. You can also see Yoruba, uh, the translations in Yoruba uh, of the Bible. And so he's another one of my heroes from the 19th century in West Africa, who was educated classically and Christianly. I hope you will take advantage of reading the book written by Jesse Page. It was written very shortly after Bishop Crowther's passing. So it was written within about 20 years. And actually, Jesse Page met the bishop and wrote his first version of the history. So you can get this free online. You can look up the Black Bishop, Samuel Ajayi Crowther, Bishop of the Niger by Jesse Page. You can read it on Google. It was written in 1909. There are a number, also a number of resources listed at the end of the Gospel Coalition article that I mentioned earlier, which is called Samuel Ajayi Crowther, written by Indaba Marzapane. It was written December 2nd, 2020. At the end of that article, you can find a number of resources to give you more information about this extraordinary Christian leader, Bishop Samuel Ajayi Crowther. So we in the Rafiki Foundation are praying that God would allow us to cultivate a multitude of godly contributors, men and women like Samuel Ajayi Crowther. By the way, his legacy involves more than just 
translations of scripture, which are quite amazing, and the planting of churches, but also children, grandchildren, and great-great-grandchildren. One of his grandchildren was Herbert Macaulay, who was a well-known politician and father of Nigeria's nationalism. In addition, another one of his legacies was a woman doctor by the name of Ameo Adedevo. Dr. Adedevo was the woman doctor who was almost single-handedly responsible for keeping Ebola out of Nigeria in 2014. Uh, She's the one who stood in the way of a Liberian official who was infected with Ebola and was going to try and enter the country anyway. She prohibited him from doing so, but in the midst of that, she contracted Ebola herself and died. She's a real hero, and apparently she's a descendant of Samuel Ajayi Crowther. So we want to help cultivate more men and women like Bishop Crowther. So you can be a part of Rafiki's mission by helping to sponsor children to one of our Rafiki classical Christian schools in any one of our 10 African countries in which we serve. You can go to our website, RafikiFoundation.org, to find out more about ways in which you might be a part of this. Perhaps you want to sponsor one of the 3,500 children, or perhaps you might want to go out and serve as a missionary with us long term. Join us in this mission as we seek to bring the best Bible study and the best education in the world to some of the most needy children in the world. Thanks again. I'm Karen Elliott, and I'm your host of the Rafiki Foundation podcast. Thanks for listening to this podcast.